0: You're listening to an Anna Owl Ministries podcast. What happens when the Graboids go international? We're going to be finding that out today on a special drive-in episode of Systematic Ecology. We are the priest of the geeks. I am your host, Christian Ashley, and I'm, of course, joined by my co-host, my friend, Adam Bear. We are going into, for the start of our drive-in episode of October, going into over horror and horror-adjacent theme movies, and this one is going to be, of course, Tremors 2, because we're also doing sequels as our main theme for this month. And we'll get into a second who chose this movie and why, but first, Adam, I know this was direct-to-video, uh, VHS, back in the day, for those of us old and alive enough to remember that, but if this was, we had seen this in a drive-in, what would have been your first reaction or the first thing you would have said?
1: Oh, man. Um... Uh- wow honestly like uh the practical effects of this film still really hold up and you can see it i mean the computer generation uh definitely has its moments it's a lot better than later sequels um but even at that time period like to be that that was at the beginning stages of cgi working in films so there was still so much practical work which really stands out which really stands up so even rewatching it now, my first thought is, "Wow, some of these visual shots really do stand up."
0: Yeah, I would say my first reaction—I'll get to what you say in a second—is you know what? That was better than I was expecting for a direct-to-video sequel <laughs> that I just happened to see in a drive-in in the scenario. You know, and I enjoy it. But yeah, the, the effects do really hold up, especially well. Minus, like you said, some of the CGI is like in that early stages a little more of a cheaper version of it as they're learning how to do things. You know, as opposed to something like you know Jurassic Park, when it used a little bit of it, yeah, you can notice it now. But like, like you mentioned in the Transformers episode, like it, it's still holds up pretty well, and I'd say the same about most of the effects done here.
1: Well, there was such why. I mean, I you hear me talk about this a lot in filmmaking. It's it's using it's using undeveloped technology sparingly. They recognize that they couldn't make you you know you you. Computer generation, even now, still has to deal with the Uncanny Valley so much. And by combining it with practical effects, you can stretch what you want your creatures or your CGI to do by having that comparison to the practical effects. And they did that really well here. So even if you notice it, you've seen there's so many practical effects, so much excellent puppeteering that happens in varying scales that the generation is used just sparingly enough that they're allowed to bring the creatures more to life without compromising the way the film looks. And, you know, your brain kind of makes it all work together.
0: Yeah. So I really do enjoy this film. And like we said earlier, this is Tremors 2. And you were actually the one who picked this. So what in the world... What is the reason why you would choose this out of all the sequels in the world? This had to be the one we had to talk about.
1: Well, you know, I love Tremors 1 to this day. I'm not a big horror film person. I like, I like the, from a filmmaking standpoint, I like, um, I like the construction of the, 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 the horror film and the narrative structure and the concepts of the horror films. But I don't usually sit and watch horror films. Tremors is one of those ones that I still, if I see it on TV or if it pops up on Amazon or whatever, I'll make time to watch it. I still think it's that good. And, um, you know, we were talking about movies with great sequels. So I wanted to make sure it was something that I was familiar with and could give an adequate opinion yeah. of. And I have seen, well, um, I haven't really watched many of the other Tremors sequels, but I have seen Tremors 2 on several occasions and enjoyed it and enjoy it. I don't think it's as yeah, yeah. good as the original, but that wasn't the assignment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. This is a very enjoyable film. Like uh, earlier I said, you know, that's pretty good for a direct-to-video you know, sequel. It's like I- I've seen a lot of trash in my day. Uh, as time goes on, these sequels, some of them dip in quality as time goes on, like I said. But you know what? It's fine. We're in Tremors 2. And what what is your – how did you get in, introduced to the Tremors franchise, Adam?
1: Oh man, I can't remember if we rented it back in the day or if it was on TV, Um, but my dad is a big horror fan and he tried to expose us to several things over the years and some of them took and some of them didn't. Um, This was one of those films that definitely took. We must have rented it at some point and watched it. Um, um, And I remember even at that age when I really, really didn't like horror films, I remember at that age enjoying it and being really terrified of it and loving it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I learned of these films at an early age. It it was like one of those uh, playground things where you had your friends and be talking about this awesome movie they just saw And were like a seven or eight at the time. And I, when I was a kid, I talked about this on our zombie episode too. Like I was just a little wimp and a little pansy when it came to horror stuff. Like I just couldn't handle it at that age. And hearing about these creatures without actually seeing them, because uh, I didn't watch the movie at that time, because my classmates were telling me, like, oh, these giant worm things, and, like, if you're not on solid rock, they can come out and kill you. And it's like, but th- the playground is full of dirt. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> so that freaked me out completely. Uh, and at this point in time, I didn't watch the first movie until around 18, 19 is when I started, like, branching out and say, I've got to, like, watch horror movies you know, I've got to grow out of this stage. You know, it's time to man up a little bit. Once again, not if you if you don't like horror movie, movies, you're, that doesn't not make you a man or anything like that. Like, that's how I felt. So I watched the first movie, fell in love. Like, the horror comedy segments of it were a lot of fun because uh, you get a little like, oh, this is very suspenseful. It'd be cut by a joke, but not in a very, not to ruin the horror aspect, you know. And in Tremors 2, um, when was the first time I saw that? Uh, it'd be a couple of years after that. And it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. Uh, Anything you want to add before we discuss the movie proper?
1: No, no. We can dive into the movie proper.
0: Okay. So
1: why don't we just
0: go tag team this, give a summary of what happens here?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, you know, there's definitely some parallels between it and um, Jurassic Park because the film starts off with an attack, a graboid attack. And you're not kind of really sure what's going on. And then it fast forwards a little Mm -hmm. bit to a multi, you know, millionaire, billionaire, recruiting, um, recruiting is it Bert, right? Earl. I can't, his name's just flew out of my brain. It's uh, Bert, right?
0: It, Earl is who shows up for Bert is shows up about halfway through the film.
1: Oh yeah. Earl, I got their names all confused. So Earl, uh, he you show try what
0: I said, it's perfectly fine.
1: Oh, so Earl, Earl, um, Earl gets recruited by this millionaire that by this millionaire to hunt down graboids, and assigns assigns him his uh, Kevin Bacon knockoff uh, <laughs> to uh, help him accomplish uh, accomplish killing these graboids. And they head down to uh, Mexico to start hunting graboids. And that's where the story proper begins.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, it's at this point they. That learning from the first film how to take these suckers down. They use explosives. They use this it's really fun. They take the uh, these little motorized mini cars kids would use, uh, put dynamite on them, and then from afar, just wheel them around because the noise will attract the graboids. They'll try and eat whatever that creature they think it is, go underground, boom, die underneath the dirt as everyone gets sprayed with you know <laughs> uh, animal <laughs> matter all over the place. It's a very almost evil dead, not to that full extent of how much people get splattered with guts and gore. Like it's not nearly as bad as that, but there's some parallels there. And then they find out there's too many of them. So they, they recruit Bert whose wife has left him because in her opinion, he's gotten uh, too paranoid for her ever since the Soviet union collapsed. And now he has no one that he's living in fear of. So he's got to find something else to be in fear of. So he joins them And then the the three of them uh, take more down, but then they find this one body that's acting a little weirder than the others. And it just comes to the surface and dies. Adam, what happens
1: next? Well, what happens next is we realize that the worms are evolving or transforming into smaller versions of themselves. uh, Shriekers, as they're calling it. It Shriekers, right? And uh, they hunt instead of by sound, they hunt by heat. And now they keep multiplying from eating. And now they have to try to stop these much weaker, but equally as terrifying little graboids, now called shriekers. And they're just trying to survive these things and outthink these things as they begin to swarm the uh, grounds.
0: Oh, yes. And that leads to a bunch of hijinks to where they were prepared for, you know, graboids, they weren't prepared for shriekers. So all the weapons that Bert has, he, he exhausts all of his bullets. He does have a lot of explosives left, though, as we do find out towards the climax of the film. And they do some little testing. It's like, OK, what makes these different? Because Bert is able to capture one of these shriekers alive. They have a funny little scene with a broom where they, they make sure it's like, is it looking at movement? Oh, no, it's looking at heat. And that's what makes these suckers so different than the yeah. rest. And then they learn, oh, these they're hermaphroditic by nature, so they can just reproduce and reproduce so long as they have a food source nearby. So if they don't nip this in the bud now, they could easily start overrunning things. So they get to that point where, okay, our weapons are useless here, but let's we can actually still blow them up. Earl takes charge, goes in to where they've got them all captured, sets a charge. They end up in a ditch where the building blows up and all the shriekers are dead, and the day is won and there we go and uh earl found love along the way with uh oh, what was her name uh debbie
1: i can't remember I, I know yeah i know it was kind of a clone plot from the first one
0: yeah oh, was it helen i think it's helen I, i'd have to look it up <laughs> yeah but, you know, she's not like a non-entity in this movie because she does provide our she's our scientist of this film and mm-hmm. she provides some extra but I, the only reason I remember the other guy's names is because I put them in the outline, <laughs> so I forgot to yeah. put her name down too. So, yeah, okay. Now, what do we love, and what do we hate or not like as much about this film?
1: Well, like I was saying in our opening, I, I love the practical effects. I mean, the the hand puppeteering, the 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 fact that they got the same people from the previous film to come back. You know, looking at the behind the scenes of some of these, uh, how they did some of these things, how they had real life size graboids popping up out of the ground next to people. I mean, that that kind of craftsmanship can't be understated. Um, the humor, the humor is really solid as well. It's not it, it, you know, there's different forms of comedy and how they work. And this isn't just one form of comedy all the way through this character comedy with Bert popping out of the vehicle. And it's like, I'm completely out of ammo. You know, that is character. Then there's the buddy comedy of the two guys relationship with each other. And, you know, for for a Kevin Bacon replacement, he didn't do a bad job. Um, they had a lot of funny moments. I've got, a, you know, uh, Earl's Earl's personality is always really good for these films. So, I think those are aspects are really positives about it. Um, some of the yeah. things I hate about right. it are, are, are the plot. You know what I mean? Uh, the Graboids are yeah. so cool on their own. Um, uh, to turn them into shriekers, as much as I admire the shrieker uh, puppeteering, it is, it, you lost me there. I lost the suspense. I lost the horror. You know, this idea of things being able to pop out of the ground anywhere. And it just goes back to what the first movie did so well that the second movie couldn't quite capture.
0: Yeah, that's, you can definitely see some of the Jurassic Park influence on this film because they're basically are raptors for this movie, even though there's obviously not one and the same, but there are some parallels there. Oh, and her name is Kate, by the way. I don't know where I got oh, okay. the other names from. Yeah, I'm completely off base. You know, Debbie, Ellen, whatever I said, so close to Kate. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, I agree to a certain extent with the, the Shriekers. Being a poor um, – that's what I'm looking for here. Not a poor substitute for our Graboids because th- they do essentially turn the Graboids into a joke while at the same time maintaining a little bit of horror there because they're safe on the truck. But if they're not on the truck, things are going to go bad real easily. But they turn them into a joke. They're just blowing them up right and left with these little RC cars. And you know, so you get some comedy from that. Uh, I love our interactions between the main cast here. Grady's okay. He's not my favorite part of the film. Our new sidekick character, who's a big hero worshiper of Earl. He's a little doofy for my taste, but it's not the end of the world. And then we'll get into the Precambrian thing when we get to that question later on. It's a little annoying, but I'm not expecting great scientific facts from a Tremors franchise. So at the end of the day, I can brush that aside. So anything else you want to add to that? No, no. Yeah. I do say the horror towards the end is still heightened. It's a horror in a different way in that sense. You you rightly said like that terror of not knowing when these things can shoot up out of the ground. That is immense because I know they're there. I just don't know where they are. But the Shriekers, you know where they are, but they're still powerful enough to overpower someone, especially they have numbers on their side. They don't have the ammunition because, you know, Bert wasn't prepared for them. He was prepared for a different type of enemy. So why would he bring something else? So, yeah. Right, so I mentioned it earlier. How do you feel, Adam, about the Graboids being given a definitive origin as pre, as a Precambrian life form rather than something else like, you know, being you know, genetic experiments or aliens or something like that?
1: Um, it was uh, that, that part of it was always confusing to me because I felt like they established that well enough in the original film that I always thought that they was some sort of prehistoric creature. That went dormant. Yeah. I mean, it made logical sense to me um, for them to confirm it in the second film. I'm just like, wait, there was a debate on the matter, so that's kind of how <laughs> I felt. You know what I mean? Like, I always thought that it was prehistoric yeah. more than Alien, just because she had a fossil, or it was the second movie that she had a fossil. So maybe, maybe second in my maybe in my brain, I can come. Uh, I can. I connected those two. those two facts together and just assume that's the way it was in the first film. Um, So it really didn't make a huge deal to me. I I think the dinosaur makes more logical sense.
0: Yeah. I'm not opposed to the idea. I mean, prehistoric creature, sure. I'm in there. Like, I love my B-movies. You know, prehistoric horror just comes out into the modern age, kills a bunch of people. I'm there every single time. So this works. It doesn't have to be a genetic experiment. You know, scientists gone mad to be another B-movie thing or it doesn't have to be aliens like this works. My issue is the Precambrian thing is I say this to someone who isn't an evolutionist in that sense of if we're following an evolutionary uh, timetable here. These are way too complex to be around in that era. Not to say you couldn't have had a smaller form, but this Precambrian time, that's a long period of time, billions of years of essentially mostly Bacteria. And then eventually we start getting things like jellyfish, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, feel free to correct my information to those who know more than me. So that's my issue. I think later on, actually, they do change it to instead of Precambrian to the Devonian period, which makes a little more sense time-wise and evolutionary speaking. So that's what it is. But yeah, I, I have no real issue with it. As long as there's an explanation, I'm there for it. I'm one of those people. I, I want to see the monster. I don't care. Don't give me this whole, it's a lot scarier if I never see it or if it's in shadows all the time. Like you can build up the suspense, but let me see it at the end, no matter how goofy it looks, because then I know what I'm actually looking at. Mm-hmm. And this is like explaining the creature. I'm fine with that.
1: Well, and there's an there's art an to it what made the first movie so cool is how long it took for the graboids to actually appear. You know, so you had so many people just disappearing and going into the ground and you never got the full image of it. So that's part of the suspense of it is the build up. you know? Um, um, so, so yeah, I think there's an argument when it comes to the, the prehistoric thing, the, the crazy thing about the nineties and we have to remember about the nineties is there's so much, of this evolutionary conversation that was still so much in debate. I mean, just look at the conversations about Jurassic Park. When Jurassic Park came out, they were basing that off of the most modern science of what the Jurassic Park period would be like for these creatures. And now we find out 30 years later that most of it was incorrect. The way they designed raptors was incorrect. They probably had feathers. Um, uh, the, yeah. the Tyrannosaurus has gone from having one brain to no brain to, well, not no brain, but one brain to two brains to, you know, this, that, and the other thing to was a scavenger instead of a predator. And, you know, so it, it's one of those things. It's one of those, I call it, I call it the Holly the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood excuse. It's like, it was dinosaurs, but they don't know what that means. They don't know any more that means than either of you. You do. (laughs) you know, they're just trying to give it some sense of authenticity with explanation, because that was a huge thing in 90s. And even today is you have these. Well, where do these characters come from? Where do these things come from? Things can't just exist. They have to have an origin to them. That's why you have so many origin stories of villains and characters and things. You know what I mean? We got to know where they began. It's kind of a filmmaking fad, if you will.
0: Yeah. No, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't thinking about that. This is almost 30 years old as a film. So science has definitely marched on since then. So maybe someone, some screenwriter was just looking at a, a biology book or a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not archaeologist. Goodness gracious, I should know this. Um, ar- ar- no, anthropologist? No, forget it. We'll just say, yeah, see how much I know there. Uh, they're just looking through some science book and Go, okay, that's a term. I'm gonna use that term. And they got paid ten bucks for that. Because screenwriters don't get paid what they should. So next up, we do learn in this film, like I mentioned earlier, that Bert has lost his marriage to Heather due to his loss of identity, now that the Soviets are no longer a threat. Like, how do we feel like this is how this is handled here versus say how Uh, Han Solo is shown to be a deadbeat husband in sequel material, being that this is also a sequel film. I think the two, you can use those as parallels.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, whenever they're... It's it's always a conversation of, and this is a narrative thing, um, it's always a conversation of how do they explain characters being absent or being disconnected? You know what I mean? For, like, the Star Wars argument, it was we want to have this character and you can see it in the way they narratively structure these things. This is their thought process. And ultimately this is just me guessing, but this is, this is how I think it is. They say, we want to have this character. We want to have a villain. We want him to be a part of the Skywalker bloodline, but he can't be Luke's. Where is Han? Well, if Han, why, why would it, if, if Han and Leia were good parents, why would he turn out like this? So they have to somehow justify why Kylo Wen was the way they are, because they're trying to accomplish a task versus create a strong narrative structure. And they have the same situation here. Leiva McIntyre didn't want to do it again. She didn't want to be a part of this film. Yeah. For good reason. The Tremors One was a bomb. Kevin Bacon made the same comment, even though um, uh, he, he made the same comment later. He's like, why would I do it? It was a, The first one was a bomb. Um, even though I think he was of the mindset he wished he would have uh, just for the fun of it. Um, but, and, you know, he got huge in that between the two films, Kevin Bacon became, he was already pretty popular, but he became even massively more popular in that time frame. Um, um, so they, they had this issue of, well, where's Reba? Well, what, what can we say about it? And I think they wanted to, I think they went for the joke more than anything. They wanted the joke of why she left him versus, You know leaving that door open to later or whatever they just wanted to they wanted to make the joke because they thought it was funny and it is a funny joke i laughed looks for me
0: yeah yeah i think the main difference between the two is how it's handled like han solo Especially for people who've read Legends material, you see that man, he's not a perfect husband by any stretch of the imagination. He's not a perfect father. And there's a period of time in the New Jedi Order where he does leave Leia for a little bit because he's lost Chewbacca, his best friend. And he's like lost and listless in the world. But eventually he comes back, you know, versus uh, what happens in Force Awakens where he's just out there smuggling again because – That's what he's doing. We have to justify Kylo Ren being the way he is. So he has to be distant from his son or he has to be distant from his wife instead of like the two of them working together. Yeah, it is what it is. Now, as far as Bird is concerned, it's funny because he already had these paranoid tendencies in the first film. That's why he's so ready for this fight. And then he's ready again now because he doesn't have an enemy to fight anymore. The Soviets, there, there's no longer that, you know, a doomsday clock. You, uh, nukes could be thrown at any time. And he's bummed out that, you know, communism has fallen. So he's got to find something else we see in like some of the setting they give for his room. We see a Soldier of Fortune magazine in there. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it was a magazine. I don't know if it still comes out now, but it was especially popular in the 80s and the 90s for – You know, uh, military aficionados and people who really like guns to look up stuff. And there was also a lot of really bad stuff in there where you could have advertisements for these mercenary groups and people fighting in Rhodesia and all the terrible uh, race uh, wars involved there. So it came with this mixed bag. But for Bird, it makes perfect sense because he doesn't have an enemy to fight, someone to resist against. And now you give him the Graboids again. So Helen left him for now. Excuse me, what did I say? Heather left him for now. I cannot get names straight for my life this day. Oof. So that makes perfect sense. Do you have
1: anything else you want to add to that? No, I think the issue about comparing Star Wars is the sequel trilogies is such a it's such a different monster than what we're dealing with here. You know, and um, they that that's just a whole conversation in itself. I, I see the comparison. I think the comparison is that, but that is cool. That's a whole different... That's a whole different grab boy to a pack.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That wasn't me like looking for reasons to bring up how much I hate the sequel trilogy. It's like the first thing I thought of. And I thinking, Oh, who would I compare him to? Oh, Han Solo, Force course awakens. That was like the first thing that popped to mind. I'm sure there are plenty of others I could have used. That's the first thing I went to, but I feel though I was denied critical need to know information, Adam. And that is one of the, Wonderful rants we get in this film from Bert about how he feels he's been treated. Like, what can we learn about this rant he gives about not having enough intel for his mission in particular then? And how can we apply that to our own lives, learning from this experience?
1: Oh, man, that's such a great, that's such a great moment. And I, I love that that actor just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. He's just like, I think I read it. He listened to an interview with him once. And he's like, why not? It, it's a fun character to play. It's a good paycheck. You know, because he is the, <laughs> he becomes the string that holds all of these franchises together. He was, in the, he was in the the Western version of it. And he was in, I think he was in the TV show too. I can't remember. I'd have to look that up to confirm. So don't quote me on that. But his, when it comes to the philosophical nature of his comments, you know, ah uh, you know, when we're talking about life, there's, this you know, I think of it from a dad's standpoint, I think to myself, what are the kind of lessons I wish my dad would have uh, passed on to me, you know, and, you know, I try to do the same thing. And that's basically all we really can do in life is try to learn from our mistakes, recognizing that, you know, without the Bible, um, you know, because I, without the pause, rewind, you know, with, without the Bible, there's no preparation for you know what I mean? You know, there's, you're, you're just shooting in yeah. the dark. you you're, you're picking apart other people's wisdoms from other people's culture, but then you have the Bible, which has been, which continues to just be true over and over again. It's true about morality. It's true about science, history, you know, it's true about uh, psychology. There's so much we can learn about human psychology from reading the Bible. And so, you know, if we, if we want to look at life as how do we prepare for life, how do we prepare for the unexpected, we have to go right back to the Bible and uh, start there and start from reading and studying the Word of God.
0: Well said. Real quick, because I have to point out my own flaws here. The word I was looking for was paleontologist. I could not for the life of me remember that. I kept looking for A names and going down the wrong path. So I know no one cares about that but me, but there we are. But to your point, though, that, that's a great. Great thing to bring up is that we there's only so much we can prepare for with limited knowledge. So we have to use the resources available to us that have proven true time and time again, and the Bible has proven itself true time and time again to always be right about what morality is, to always be right about who God is and what our purpose in life is. So we can use that to help focus us to where we are in life, and even when that unexpected thing comes in, we can be able to roll with the punches. And I'm a big guy. I uh, I love. A Sun Tzu's Art of War and like how you can apply that to many different situations. There's, you know, all warfare is based on deception. Then there's, you know, just plan for things. And then when things happen, be flexible, like discard plans if you need to. And sometimes that's what we got to do in life. Now, next up on our docket here, we have Grady introduced in this film. And he's someone who looks who is going to be trying to profit off of this situation. And we see earlier in the film, Earl's attempted to do the same and failed miserably because he got screwed over by lawyers and people who actually knew what they were doing. So he hasn't made really a dime off of the video games and stuff like that they made off of the events of the original film. Like, uh, but what do you think the film is trying to say about attempting to make money off of past trauma and dangerous situations, if it is at all? <sighs>
1: I don't know. I don't know if it is at all. I, I think it's. I think it's an inevitable outcome with a lot of people. You see this. You see this happen all the time on social media and stuff. People trying to profit from the experiences of their life, um, and uh, so I don't think. And I, I think it was true of. I think it was true of today as it was in the '90s. I mean, if you look back in history, how many people try to. Make money or make some sort of financial gain from experiences that they've had. So I don't know if it's a if it's a scathing criticism or just a constant observation. Um. uh So, so, so yeah, that's what I would say. I I don't think it's a criticism of anything like that. I think it's just Paul for the course.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I think there's a little bit thrown, throwing some shade towards that area, but it's not like a focus of the film. And in fact, we get I cannot remember his name, the actual guy in charge of the oil company is like working in a positive way, using money as a motivator for these men to get rid of a problem that is affecting his workers. Like it's not some guy who's just hiring, you know, just these Joe Schmoes off the street who have no capabilities of facing off these, against these monsters. He's giving monetary incentive to take them down. And like 50000 for just one and 100000 if they bring one back alive, and that's a 1996 money. Mm. Imagine how far that could stretch. And it's even that point you don't have to find one alive. Like if it's too dangerous, don't. So I think th- there's some poking fun, but not, it's not like an anti-capitalist film at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't All think right. it's anti-capitalist. I think I think they handled the I think they handled the witch billionaire kind of concept a lot better than we see even in even in later Jurassic Park films.
0: Yes. All right, Adam. We've gone through the film. We discussed what we like and what we don't like. What do you rate this out of ten?
1: Hmm. I would probably give it a five. Five out of ten. I think it's I think it's got a yeah, lot of really, like. Yeah, I think it's got a really good – I think it's got a lot – from a film – maybe from a story standpoint, it might be lower. But just from a filmmaking you know, standpoint, I think one of our biggest crux uh, when creating these things or criticizing these things is we just focus on the story and let the story define the whole production as a whole. I mean, this really was a film uh, – this really was a, a film made in love. It was a film – with a low budget that did some really great things practically. You know, it had some really solid character development and writing. Um, it had, it was uh, suspenseful in areas. And, um, you know, it, it, I believe, I can't remember exactly, but I believe it actually made back its budget just being a release to home video. I think it actually turned a profit. I'd right. have to look at the numbers. Um, but one video I was watching commenting on it. So, yeah, you know, in one area of the story, I might give it a two. But in its practical effects for nineteen ninety nine, you know, they did really good. That puppeteering was really, if you could watch behind the scenes, some of that puppeteering was really just out of this wood. Some of the problems that they needed to solve uh, with the puppeteering was really good. And, you know, so to 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 say it's a terrible film and rated as such is is doing it a disservice. Now there's the again, there's the honesty of it. It's not as good as the first one. The first one I would hands down give me. Yeah. I mean, you there. You could go scene by scene. For example, the scene where the rich billionaire dies, knew so much. The graboid scene when the guy names them and dies, they knew so much of what they're doing, you know. But yet, the move, first movie did it so well. Um, so, so it's not that. But I, I think overall, I think I think if you're studying filmmaking and horror films, I think it's a good movie to put in there to study how. A sequel, how a sequel can be done well. If not, I wouldn't say good, but done well.
0: Man, I thought I was being harsh giving it a 6.5 or a 7, but a 5, okay, I'll take it. And this from the movie you selected, I, that's surprising in a fun way. Yeah, I, I think yeah, a lot of your criticisms there are very valid. It, the story isn't like the best in the world, but it is very honest in my opinion. You know what you're getting into. You're getting a direct video film. It's not expecting to be Citizen Kane. It's not expecting to be the original film. You know, it is what it is. I, I say a six point five or a seven, in my opinion, that's that's fair. So we're done with the film. Hope you all enjoyed it. But I do have one important question, Adam, and I'm going to throw some shade at Joshua for this real quick because normally we have one prepared, and I realized we didn't. So I had to ask him, uh, "What are we doing for our one special question for the drive-ins?" He says, "I don't know, man. Like people like candy corn." So Adam. Candy corn, yay or nay?
1: Um, I think I think Jack Black, not Jack Black, Lewis Black. There's a really great bit in one of his mid 2000s specials where he goes on about candy corn, and if anything, I love that candy corn exists just for this rant that Lewis Black does about candy corn. If, if, if you're familiar, if you know, you know, if you don't know, look it up. Lewis Black Candy Corn. It is hilarious. And uh, whether you like Candy Corn or not, I'm so happy it exists because it's one of the funniest comedy rants that I love. Of my, It's one of my favorites. So just his whole bit and his whole dialogue. However you feel about Lewis Black, him talking about Candy Corn and ranting about Candy Corn is oh, fantastic. Um, when it comes to eating it, ah, you know. It, there might be an occasion I, you know, it. I walk by it and eat it, you know, but um, I can't eat it without thinking about that those rants. So look it up. It's hilarious. Excellent.
0: Yeah, for me, I am in the nay category. If you want to duel at dawn, like you can give this to me as a personal offense. Like you, you must be wanting to die. Like, don't give me that candy when I'm coming up to your house. Like, give me something better. Yeah, candy corn. No, thank you. So, listeners, thank you for tuning in to this show. We have a fun time doing these in general, but the drive-ins are a lot of fun, too. We get to act a little goofier in some segments and talk about goofy films like this. And there's some pretty goofy ones along the line, too. As time goes on, I believe it's Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman as one, and I'm going to be on one with Sari for Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie film. So, as that goes on, we're going to continue doing these things. So, remember, we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests.